Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike. Have a fun episode for you today, talking about one of my favorite categories, underrated movies of the 90s. I asked everybody online so many great answers. I will tell you that some memories were unlocked while I was going through all the movies I could include in this segment, so can't wait to share these with you. In the movie review, we're going to be talking about the MCU's shortest movie ever, The Marvels, and in the trailer park... They're not remaking Mean Girls, but they're making a movie based on the musical, which is oddly similar to the original just 20 years later. I have a lot of thoughts about this movie, so thank you for being here. Shout out to the Monday Morning Movie crew, and now, let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am on a quest for nostalgia right now. Maybe it's because I just started therapy and I'm reverting back to my childhood where I had no problems. Yes. That is what I'm doing right now, but I came across some movies recently that I hadn't watched in a really long time, and they are movies from the 90s I feel are underrated and underappreciated because they didn't make the most money at the box office. Some of these are actually box office bombs, but they have a special place in my heart, and some of these have developed a cult classic following, but overall, I feel like these are underrated movies and sometimes forgotten movies of the 90s and I want to share them with you. I also put the question out on Facebook, X, aka Twitter and Instagram to get your responses. So I'll include some of those in the honorable mentions, but I have nine of these to go with the 90s theme. So at number nine, I have Almost Heroes from 1998. This movie really kicked off my inspiration for this episode because with the recent passing of Matthew Perry and everybody talking about his character on Friends, which was a cultural icon, 
my mind actually first went to his movie career, which I feel like out of the Friends stars who went on to star in movies, he had my favorite movies out of every single cast member. And Almost Heroes was a movie he did with Chris Farley, where they play two explorers trying to beat Lewis and Clark to the Pacific Ocean. So it's like a modern, at the time modern anyway, Western frontier movie set in the early 1800s. And I don't really love period pieces, but when you put two great comedic actors like Matthew Perry and Chris Farley together, I remember watching this movie and loving it as a kid. And now, sad to say that both of these actors have now passed on. And even weird when you look at the history of this movie, it was also the last leading role for Chris Farley, who died just five months after this movie was released. However, it wasn't his last movie appearance because he had a cameo in a movie that you're going to hear later on on this list. So just kind of weird to think as I was putting together this list that we had all these connections going on. But when you look at the numbers of this movie, it had a budget of $30 million, which is a pretty decent budget for a comedy, especially back in the 90s. But a box office opening of only $2.8 million. And overall, this movie only made $6.1 million in its theatrical run. So not only do I feel it's a forgotten movie, but it's also a movie that didn't do so great at the box office. But when you look at this movie on paper, and if you watch it without a critical eye, it's a lot of fun. And there are so many scenes from this movie that still are engraved in my head. But this is my favorite one that captures the humor of this movie. It's whenever Chris Farley and Matthew Perry are on their boat they have this crew, which is basically just the crew of idiots. And this one guy keeps playing the bagpipe, but he only knows one song. And then this happens. Higgins, when I said your music would be a welcome companion, I didn't mean... Don't you know any other damn tune? Huh? No, sir. Of course you do, lad. Play him that haunting air you played me this morning. <laughs> and then he just plays the same song again what i love about that clip in that moment is it shows you the other thing that chris farley i feel is the best quality of him now he was known a lot for his physical comedy and him putting his body on the line for the sake of a laugh but the inflection he would always have on his voice and delivering his lines was always the thing that drew me to Chris Farley my favorite SNL sketch ever with Chris Farley is the Colombian coffee crystals when they give him this cup of coffee they tell him to drink it and then they reveal to him that it's actually Colombian coffee crystals that they gave him and he feels so betrayed and goes into this fit of rage and just the inflection on his voice as he's yelling out things when they're beating him on the head is hilarious. Or even his late night talk show appearances. I remember him doing impressions of his dad that I still do to this day, talking about how his dad would go from zero to 100 in no time whatsoever. He would get mad at them for not shoveling the snow and be like, I thought I told you to shovel the walk. Get out there! I love Chris Farley. I love Matthew Perry. And this movie may not have had success at the box office, but it had success in my heart. I feel like it's underrated and hilarious. So at number nine, I have Almost Heroes. At number eight, from 1995, I have a goofy movie. You knew it was going to be on this list. And maybe if this list was made one or two years ago, it would have been higher up on the list. But I kind of feel that Goofy Movie is starting to get its flowers. People are starting to recognize it. It has this cult classic, probably due to TikTok and people getting on there 
being like me and saying, everybody remember this movie, how great it is. So I feel now that the movie is getting more recognized. But without a doubt, when you look at all the big Disney movies from the 90s, this one always gets left off the list. When it is such a great movie, such a great coming of age story, even when you look at the runtime, it's only one hour and 16 minutes. This movie has no fat on it whatsoever. It is nonstop laughs and thrills and animation gold. The movie cost $18 million to make and only opened to $6 million on its opening weekend, did end up making some money, making $35 million in its theatrical run. But it's a top five Disney movie for me, and when you tell that to somebody else, they call you crazy. I mean, it has the animation style I love, that 2D Disney animation in the 90s is beautiful, but also the soundtrack on this movie, Eye to Eye, is one of the best original Disney songs of all time. This movie had swagger in the 90s. Disney movies haven't had swagger since the 90s because of a goofy movie. The movie is underrated. That is my movie at number eight. At number seven from 1996, I have a little movie called House Arrest. This movie embodies everything that I love about 90s movies. And I am incredibly biased here because I grew up in the 90s. I was born in 91. I am a full-on 90s kid, which really just means I'm in my 30s now. So again, I'm coming from a place of bias here, but I feel like family and kid-friendly movies in the 90s were the best and the most creative. There was always some wacky twist that would hook me in and make me want to watch the movie. And as a kid, you don't care about all of the tech specs and all of the plot points in a movie. You just want something really fun. So On Paper is a movie about a kid trying to stop his parents from getting divorced by locking them in his basement. You know, the most logical plot? No, but it's an incredibly fun movie. So that's what our hero does in this movie. You have this teenager played by Kyle Howard, locks his parents in his basement, and then all his friends and other kids in the neighborhood think it's a great idea. So they all bring their parents over and lock them in the basement, and they try to have like this therapy session to get everybody to kiss and make up. A great concept for a 90s movie. Again, not a whole lot of thought has to be put into it, but it works incredibly well for me, and this movie was highly influential on my taste of movies growing up in the 90s. But was it a commercial success? Not at all. It's one that I feel people forget and don't even talk about the movie had a five million dollar budget which is pretty low but when you look at this movie on paper it's essentially one big bottle episode of a tv show which bottle episodes were episodes that shows would make to save money by containing it primarily in one location you save a lot of money on sets so that's probably where this movie saved a lot of money but with that five million dollar budget it only opened to two million dollars and had a box office run of $7 million. But for $7 million, they have a movie that has stayed with me for now almost 30 years. Another thing I loved about movies like this in the 90s were the trailers. Those would hook you in. When you'd pop in a VHS, the first thing that would play were the trailers. So this is for all the kids listening, maybe born in the 2010s or in the late 2000s, used to get a VHS tape, which was this big brick you'd put into a VHS player, which was another big brick. You'd hit play, and before you got to the movie, you'd have these trailers. So just like when you go see a movie, there was trailers. They were already baked into the movie. And I just love the sound and feel of that because through those trailers, I ended up finding other movies that I wanted to watch. So here's a little bit of that house arrest trailer. Janet and Ned Beindorf appeared to have the perfect marriage. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. But they decided to celebrate their anniversary. Daddy and I have something we need to talk to you about. By getting a divorce. Are you two having affairs? No. no. So their kids decided to have a celebration of their own. How? What about this? <laughs> By 
making them in the basement. Listen to that. We don't get trailers like that anymore with that classic voiceover that sounds so sweet and innocent. Disney, take it back to the basics. Give me a trailer like that. But that is why I have House Arrest as an underrated movie from the 90s at number seven. At number six is a movie from 1998 called SLC Punk. This movie takes place in the early 80s where punk rock was in its heyday. If I could go back to one time period in America, I would go back to the 80s to experience that punk hardcore scene that has been very influential in my life. So you have these two characters in this movie, Steve and Heroin Bob, who were really just big nerds until they decided... We don't want to be nerds anymore. We want to be punk rockers and we want to live the punk rock life in the very conservative Salt Lake City, which I just visited Salt Lake City for the first time ever. And that place is beautiful. And the whole time I was there, I was quoting SLC Punk because that's really the only relationship I've had with Salt Lake City. But this movie was made on a $600,000 budget, which sounds like nothing, even though that's an incredible amount of money. To make a movie for $600,000 and one that is so influential on my taste in music and film is pretty incredible. But the movie only grossed 299000 so obviously some things went wrong. But it's an independent movie. It wasn't supposed to make a lot of money. But I feel like this movie really had a second life with that VHS. And I just have this VHS just pictured in my mind of being this bright green and bright orange and seeing that cover of Matthew Lillard and colored hair and heroin pile with a big mohawk. It is one of the best looking VHSs you will it's one of the best looking VHSs you will ever set eyes on. But aside from the plot points of this movie of kind of going against the grain, not conforming to society, having these punk rock values, but then questioning those punk rock values. The movie was also highly influential in my music taste. On this soundtrack, you have the Dead Kennedys, Fear, the Specials, Generation X, and Blondie, the Ramones. All these really great punk bands that were thriving in the early 80s and late 70s. It was all over this movie and I was all about it. I wanted to look and dress just like Matthew Lillard in this movie. But obviously my parents vetoed me getting a real mohawk. But I have watched this movie so many times and I quote it nonstop. One of my favorite quotes is whenever one of the characters, Mark, who is one of the most unhinged characters in any movie I've ever seen. He plays like this really straight laced guy who is friends with the two punk rockers. They go out one night, steal a car and then decide to get rid of the evidence by throwing the car into the Great Salt Lake. Sink, you fool. Hey, why won't she sink? Well, it's because it's the, it's the Great Salt Lake. And? Yeah, dude, there's salt in it. It's like saltiest lake in the world. It, it makes things buoyant, you buoyant. know? Sink your foot! So that is the quote I kept saying while I was in Salt Lake City recently. Sink your foot! But that character was played by Till Schweiger, who went on to play Hugo Stiglitz in Inglorious Bastards. So at number six, an underrated movie from the 90s is SLC Punk. At number five, from 1998, is a little movie called Basketball. This movie is from the creators of South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, who are two comedic geniuses, probably my favorite creators in comedy. I've learned so much from them over the years. What basketball is about, it's these two guys who their life really doesn't go the way they'd planned. As kids, they had dreams of playing in Major League Baseball, but then as adults just turned out to kind of be losers. But they end up inventing this game that combines baseball and basketball and they end up developing this whole league that goes from just something they would play 
in their backyard into a real professional league. You could probably make a movie like this now about pickleball, but the movie was made on a budget of $25 million, which is pretty substantial. It only opened to $3 million, and this one hurts. As funny as this movie is, the movie only made $7 million at the box office, which is sad because I found this movie so funny as a kid. I rewatched it as an adult and it still holds up. It's exactly what you would expect from the creators of South Park. It's dirty. It's graphic. The jokes are vile at times, but man, is it funny. Here's probably the only joke I can play from basketball. And it's a great moment. This movie has a great opening scene. It starts out with them as kids at a baseball game, being inspired, and then leading to their adult life of, well, we're not going to have those dreams we sought out to have. You know, Reamer, someday I'm going to be a big sports star. You know, Reamer, someday I'm going to own a big sports bar. So at number five, my underrated movie from the 90s is Basketball. At number four, we'll get into a drama. It also has a little bit of comedy. We call them dramedies. From 1996 is Jack, starring Robin Williams. This movie hits me in the feels. What it's about, Robin Williams plays the main character in this movie named Jack, who has an unusual disorder who has aged him four times faster than any other human. So he's really a boy, but he looks like a 40-year-old man. His mom had an unusually short pregnancy. They found out this after he was born. So his entire life, he is homeschooled until he starts the fifth grade and decides he wants to go to real school. It's his first time being around other kids and trying to make friends. So it's him getting through those challenges of being a kid inside his head, but outward looking like a 40-year-old man. There's obviously some fun they have of getting him to do things that only adults could do. But the struggle he has is... In order to connect with somebody who looks like him, he falls in love with his teacher, played by Jennifer Lopez. And there is a scene that still guts me. He decides he wants to make a move because he can't control his feelings. He feels like he is falling in love with her and he wants to invite her to a dance. And this, oh, I'm going to play a little bit of it. But this one gets me emotional. Even as I was loading this clip, I thought of this rejection scene and it still hits me good. I'm sorry, honey. It just wouldn't be right. Do you understand? Oh, Jackie, don't. I'm okay. Jack. Jack, wait. Jack, come back. Let's talk. Jack, it has nothing to do with you. I I feel that because then he collapses on the stairs, grabs his heart, ends up in the hospital, and then gets into this depression where you see him with a beard. This movie hits you. It also reminds you how great of an actor Robin Williams is. And I know we all love him for his comedies, but when he gets into the dramatic stuff, I think that's where he really shines. Oh man, this is a great movie. And I'm surprised it did not do as well as I expected a movie with Jennifer Lopez and Robin Williams with a budget of $45 million, which again, like all these movies is pretty substantial. The most we've seen so far, it only opened to $11 million, but in its run, it ended up making $58 million, which is a decent amount of money. At least they didn't go into the hole so much. So for this one, it's not so much the financial ramifications of it being a flop, but I just feel like this movie gets understated and underrecognized as being one of the best movies of the 90s. So I had to put this one in at number four. At number three from 1994 is the best baseball movie of all time, hands down. I don't care what you say. It's not the Sandlot. 
It's not any other baseball movie in the 90s, 80s, whatever. This is the best baseball movie ever made, and it does not get the recognition it deserves. The movie I am talking about is Angels in the Outfield. It's about a kid played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt who just wants the chance of having a family again. And I just re-watched this movie recently because my favorite team, the Texas Rangers, had a chance to win the World Series, and I thought, I need to go back and revisit this because I was reminded of the deal he made with his dad was once the Angels win the pennant in this movie, we can be a family again. And Texas Rangers, if you're not familiar, they just won the World Series, but in the entire history of the team, never won it. So I feel like this movie could have played out now. Some deadbeat dad telling his kid, hey, if the Rangers win the pennant, we can be a family again. And that was my inspiration to go back and watch this movie. When the Rangers were playing the Astros, I thought, man, if they could just pull this off and make it to the World Series. I've watched this movie for good luck. Rangers went on to not only win the pennant, but win the entire World Series. So now, every time they're in the playoffs, I'm going to have to go back and watch this movie. But the movie was made for $31 million. It had an opening of $8.9 million. It went on to make $50 million in its theatrical run. But if you look at the cast in this movie, yeah, Matthew McConaughey, Danny Glover, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, this cast is stacked. And surprisingly... This movie was a lot more emotional than I remembered because of the fact that he is just trying to get his dad back who doesn't want him. Dad, when are we going to be a family again? Where I'm sitting, I'd say when the angels win the pennant. You stay out of trouble, son. I almost cried again at the scene wherever he sees his dad in court and realizes what is happening. So this movie has it all. It has the emotion. It has the baseball, it has comedy, it has all those things working together with the charm of the 90s and not enough people talk about this movie. So much so that it's even hard to watch this movie. I just happened to find out that TBS is carrying it and since we have Hulu Plus with TV, live, whatever that is, I was able to watch it for the first time in years. So if you have Hulu Live Plus with TBS or whatever, you can watch it too. But it's a Disney movie. It needs to be on Disney Plus. Justice for Angels in the Outfield. That's why I have it at number three. At number two is a comedy from 1998. It stars the late and great Norm MacDonald. It also has Artie Lang. Chris Farley, which I mentioned that Almost Heroes was his last starring role, but this ended up being his final film credit. You also have a surprise cameo from Adam Sandler in this movie. But what this movie is about is Norm MacDonald plays this character who is a loser. I guess we have a theme here, and he finds success in a revenge for hire business. People come to him to do his dirty work, whether it be to deal with a noisy neighbor, a jerk of a boss, or the big evil guy in town who wants to destroy a retirement home. I could quote this movie all day long. From start to finish, I know every single line in this movie. And again, it's a movie that's not entirely appropriate. And I know there's some kids who listen to this podcast, so this is the cleanest joke I can play from a movie called Dirty Work. Hey, uh, Mitch. You're really starting to like this Kathy, aren't you? No. Mitch, I know you, man. When you say no like that, you really mean yes. What are you talking about? Watch, I'll show you. Mitch, uh, did you ever rob a bank? No. Did you ever climb Mount Everest? No. Did you ever say that you can see why women find Sean Connery sexy? No. Okay, so I like Kathy a little bit. And I still do that to this day. No. It also has the late, great Don Rickles, who is 
famous for just rattling off insults to people. And I think this is his best showcase of doing that when he just keeps going off on Artie Lang. Ah, you look like a bucket of lard on a bad day. Got a call yesterday from Baskin Robbins. They said that they're down to only five flavors. You're swelling up as I talk to you. Hello, ice cream, having a good time, <laughs> running around. What are you laughing at? Because I called your friend a fat pig, huh? You think that's funny? Oh, no, I was just laughing uh, earlier when you were talking to his belly. So that is number two. Dirty Work is an underrated movie from the 90s. Before we get to number one, I do have a lot of honorable mentions, a lot that you guys sent in on social media. Kanan Cox said The Page Master, which was an incredibly sophisticated animated movie from the 90s. Adam Cantu said Street Fighter which I feel like in the 90s we had this fascination with video game adaptations that didn't really live up to expectations. I'm more of a Mortal Kombat guy myself, but I can respect it. No Quarter on X, I keep calling it X, but it's Twitter, said Cool Runnings, which was also the last role of John Candy, a great Disney live-action movie, one of their better sports films. Joey Gibson also said Heavyweights, which I kind of put in that category of a goofy movie that I don't think it's as underrated as it was five years ago, but I do love that movie. Another one that a lot of people commented with was The Iron Giant from 1999, which is an animated movie, and I never really fully understood the fascination with that movie, so maybe that's my goofy movie. It was good, I enjoyed it, but I think that one's properly rated. But finally, at number one from 1998, the most underrated movie from the 90s, is Small Soldiers. What this movie is about, you have these two guys who work at a toy company and they need the next big thing. Something that's so cool and innovative and hardcore that every kid is gonna wanna buy it. And what they end up doing is putting missile technology in these toy action figures. And they think, ah, it's cool. It makes them smart and they fight with each other. And one of them is programmed to kill and one of them is programmed to hide and be the peaceful one. So you have the villains and you have the heroes. But what they don't count on happening is the chips end up malfunctioning and they start not only attacking the other toys, but start attacking humans. The movie had a budget of $40 million and it opened to $14 million, which isn't the worst opening. It did end up grossing $54 million at the box office, so it had a little bit of a profit. But when you look at the highest grossing movies of the 90s and compare it to even the top 100 grossing movies of the 90s made at least $110 million. That's minimum. Lion King made almost a billion dollars at $970 million, or another iconic movie like Toy Story made $40 million at the box office. So a mere $54 million back then didn't really seem like a whole lot when you have all these other movies crushing it. And like all the other movies on this list, there are lines that have just stuck with me for my entire life. One specifically is in the final scene, wherever they're trying to take out the commando elites and you have them revolting against the family and revolting against humans and attacking them with all these weapons they have created with things they found in the garage, which this movie gets a lot more violent than you would expect for a kid's movie. People get hurt. People probably could have died. But it's this one small little scene and this line that this toy says to the human that has stayed with me forever. What are you packing, Tiny? Packing. Packing you. I continue to say that. Packing. Packing you. But you also have Tommy Lee Jones as the voice of the main commando elite who he just has a very commanding and intimidating voice. So I feel like that goes underappreciated. 
But not only that, when you look at the special effects used to make these toys come to life, it was pretty advanced for the 90s. And maybe you've seen the meme online, but people comparing VFX from the 90s and early 2000s to VFX now, we have somehow regressed because if you go back and watch Small Soldiers, it is a triumph because I didn't even question it as a kid. And if I go back and watch it now, it still holds up and looks pretty good. Is some of it a little bit cheesy? Yeah, but they did a really good job overall with a pretty modest budget of $40 million. And Marvel movies now with 200, 250 million dollar budgets can't even replicate something like small soldiers from the 90s. And again, gonna get a little bit morbid here, and I didn't really set out to have this theme, but Small Soldiers also has the final on-screen appearance for the late Phil Hartman, who I knew him from being in this movie, but mainly with his voice work in The Simpsons of characters like Troy McClure. So just through this list, unintentionally, I just shared with you a lot of last on-screen appearances from actors who have passed away, which I feel like I should dedicate an entire episode to that. But as I was going through my notes, I just had to share that with you. But the reason I included this one as my number one pick is an underrated movie from the 90s. If you grew up in this decade and you didn't watch and love this movie, you're not a 90s kid. I'm sorry, you have to appreciate the charm of this movie, the comedy in this movie, the action in this movie, the lesson you learn, which is don't put military technology in toys. We should all know that, right? Okay, that is the list. If your favorite underrated movie from the 90s didn't make it, let me know what it is. Email me, moviemikeD at gmail.com, or links to all my socials are in the episode notes. We'll come back, I'll give you my spoiler-free review of the Marvels, and then we'll talk about the new Mean Girls trailer. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. (laughs) And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into it now. A spoiler-free movie review of the Marvels, and I'm probably in the minority here, but I was excited to see the sequel to Captain Marvel. I think the character herself is a really great character, arguably the strongest Avenger. I don't care what you say. I do think, however, that movie was rushed because they're really trying to establish that character as we went into Endgame. So I feel like the timeline when that movie came out, we didn't have enough attention to it. And then we went into Endgame and we haven't seen the character since. So what this movie is about, you have Captain Marvel now teaming up with Miss Marvel and Monica Rambeau and all their powers become entangled. So whenever one tries to fully use their powers, they switch with another member of the crew. So you have them teaming up, learning how to work together and make it to where they can all change powers and it be seamless and they can go against the big villain. You also have Nick Fury in here, kind of ill-placed in this entire movie. And I'm going to go with three things I liked and three things I didn't like about this movie, starting with the positive first, Miss Marvel. I didn't love the Disney Plus show, but her character in this movie was probably the best part. And it's also the only part of this movie that really had heart. Phase five is just lacking emotion and lacking heart. The Marvel identity is kind of getting watered down because what made those initial movies great were the emotional connection we had with the characters. And I'm not really feeling that anymore. The only time I ever felt a sliver of that was with Miss Marvel's family. Second thing I liked about this movie was the costume design. A good superhero costume goes a long way. Miss Marvel's suit was very bright and colorful and Captain Marvel had like the worn down, subdued colors. Kind of reminded me of the old Captain America suit that I love. So aesthetically, the suits look great in this movie, which I feel like in phase five, there hasn't been much attention to that. So they didn't really need a whole lot of special effects going on with those suits to make them look great. Second thing I liked about the movie. Third thing I liked about the movie, the visual effects were actually a lot better than I was expecting which they've been struggling with. But I was kind of looking for those moments that took me out of the movie, whether it be something with a weird facial expression. I didn't see blatant bad visual effects. I do think, though, they're using way too much as far as all the backgrounds, not really feeling like there's any life to them. Again, that's kind of the theme with Phase 5 right now is... We're out of the MCU that exists in the real world that we know. They're not in New York City or New Jersey like Miss Marvel would be. They're really just going out into space. It feels very Star Wars-ish right now, but not in a good way. Probably all the bad parts that everybody hates about Star Wars right now is kind of what the MCU is doing. So I really think they need to get away from that. And that would also solve their issues with spending so much money on these movies and then losing a bunch of cash because if they stop 
focusing so much on everything that needs to come in post and get us in some real just sets where you can actually interact with things. You see some backgrounds. I think that would help the actors get better performances because throughout this entire film, Brie Larson had about one acting note. I guess I'm getting into the negative thing. So the first thing I didn't like about this movie was the acting. And I'm looking to Brie Larson, our star here, who I was the most excited to see. She had about one note throughout this entire movie, this one blank expression on her face that was her confused face, her happy face, or what is going on face. And I feel like it really changed the tone of Captain Marvel, who was so heroic in the first film and so heroic in Endgame. I feel like that identity kind of was washed away in this movie to where she didn't really feel as powerful and as in control. And that's what I want in my superhero. I want them to come in and dominate, especially her who has these incredible powers of harnessing all this light energy, being able to fly, being able to destroy cities. I didn't really feel that. It was kind of like she didn't know how to play the character anymore. But again, I think it goes back to there's so many things going on in the background that they don't get to interact with. They don't really have anything to play off when they're filming these movies that is something I'm realizing more and more really affects how we grasp onto these movies. So I don't think it's entirely her fault Maybe a little bit on the director, maybe just a little bit on the way that the MCU cranks out these movies. So, again, scaling back the budget, getting back to some basics, I think would help the MCU right now because it's just lacking some identity. Second thing I didn't like about the movie was the lack of action. The fight scenes in the MCU used to be top tier and now they're a lot more comical, probably a lot more kid-friendly, but there's no grit in the action anymore, like there was in Civil War, like there was in Captain America, or the early Iron Man films. It just feels very lighthearted, and like there's really nothing on the line when a fight scene is happening right now. So this movie was lacking a lot of action and a lot of direction of where our heroes were trying to go. It wasn't until really 40 minutes into the movie that we had a clear action, a clear mission, which usually is something you should establish early on. Who's our villain? What do we need to do to defeat him? What's the plan? Which is weird for a movie that's only an hour and a half. I know the runtime is listed as one hour and 45 minutes, but we were out of there in 90 minutes with the post credit scene maybe coming at the 135 mark. So for something to feel so rushed at the end, I feel like this movie was treacherous in the editing process of figuring out what to do. Maybe it's because of all the reshoots that they decided maybe we don't have a full story here to flesh out a two-hour Marvel movie. Let's at least make it quicker and get people out of there and don't give people enough time to hate it which is how I kind of ended up feeling about this movie. There was nothing I loved about it, but by the time it was over, there really wasn't anything I hated about it. But I found myself just getting a little bit bored at the story. I loved the characters. I just didn't love the story. I didn't love the villain. So I wasn't ready to go on this journey with them. So it was almost like I would have clicked next mission on this movie and pick something else because I actually think that plot point is really great of them having these entangled powers. They should have had a lot more fun with that. So I kind of lumped it in there. But the third thing I did not like about this movie was the villain. There was no point where I felt that anything was really on the line, like they were really fighting for something. The objective really wasn't that clear of why they were trying to take down this villain. So in order for me to really be invested and get that hurrah moment that we all look for in an MCU movie, you're supposed to have that heroic feeling. Like you just watch your heroes take on somebody that looked at one point to be unstoppable. 
I didn't get that here. Again, it felt very rushed in those last 15 to 20 minutes. So there was no real, ah, we're not going to get our heroes to where we need them to be. It was just, okay, here we are. Here's the situation. And now it's over. What exactly did we just experience here? So by no means is this movie just blatantly bad. It's just very bland and generic and safe. I wanted them to go a little bit harder, especially when you have an all-female lead cast, which I love. Again, the characters are great. The story in this movie just doesn't really make sense and didn't really need to happen and therefore just kind of feels like a weak stepping stone as we are navigating through Phase 5, really just trying to scrape through it and keep people interested in Marvel as they go into Phase 6. I also feel like this is a movie because it is female-led that people are just going to hate without even watching the movie. Because really when it was all said and done, this movie felt to me like it was made for Disney+. Plus. Just the film quality itself, the cinematography, nothing screamed to me that this needed to be on the big screen. I think if you took this same story and chopped it up into four, five, maybe six episodes, it would have been a smash hit. But again, it's pretty expensive, so they couldn't do that. It just feels like something that didn't have a whole lot of hype going into it. They didn't take any risks, and therefore, it's not really going to motivate people to want to go see this in theaters when it's going to come out on Disney Plus in a couple or few months. And I don't think that puts the MCU in a great place when they are in the business of making money. So this movie was all treble and no bass. And I think it's very lazy to call a movie mid. I hate it when reviewers say mid. Because it feels so disrespectful, but it feels so uncreative to me of just to call something mid because you know that it gets a rise out of people, especially when somebody loves something and you call it mid. It's like a big dig right into your face, right into your fandom. But that's really the only way I can describe this movie. And I hate to say it. I hate to use it, but it was so mid. I said the same thing about Ant-Man, though, because even though I love parts of it, the overall story just keeps me thinking, did we really need this? Therefore, this movie was really mid and especially going into it where I wanted the Captain Marvel character to have so much time to flourish didn't really do it for me for Captain Marvel I give it 2.5 out of 5 cats Bean Dad The Dress 30 to 50 Feral Hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey I do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. Is Hollywood out of ideas? That's always the big question I see online. The main criticism I see when it comes to movies right now is that everything is a remake, everything is a sequel, and there are no original ideas left. And I will have to say... The trailer for Mean Girls 2024 does not help that argument, even though the movie is based on the musical. So it's not a direct remake of the movie from 2004. It is a movie based on the musical, which the movie is based on. You know, it's this entire loop thing. And after watching the trailer, there's nothing that screams musical to me. What this trailer looks like is they really want to cash in on the fact that the entire plot feels familiar. And that's what they are going after. There are direct references line for line from the original movie in this trailer. The wardrobe is the same. The characters are the same. It just feels like the Gen Z remake of that original movie because there's no singing in the trailer. So to the casual person just stumbling upon this trailer, you're really not gonna know that even though that's the case here with remakes and sequels is they wanna cash in on the familiarity and what has already been proven to work because everybody knows and loves the original movie. They kind of just bring out all those elements, feature them again and think, oh, in turn, people wanna go watch this again. But I have never not wanted to see a movie so much after watching a trailer. I'll get into more of my thoughts, but before I do, Here's just a little bit of the Mean Girls 2024 trailer, which is also weird to say because it's just called Mean Girls, not called Mean Girls 2, not called The Mean Girls. They have to add in the year to differentiate the two. So here's a little bit of the trailer. Get in, loser. Welcome, Katie. You're never going to believe what I found this morning. Your burn book. Mom, go make snacks. For sure. For sure, Regina. Yeah. 
Do you like gum? Sure. Oh, no, I don't have any. I, I was just... You're a mess. We will help you, Caddy. <coughs> Why are you dressed so scary? It's Halloween. Katie, if you don't dress slutty, that is slut-shaming us. That's just unprofessional. So what you heard in that trailer are some of the same gags and jokes from the original movie, just changed just a little bit. So what you have in this movie is Tina Fey and Tim Meadows reprising their roles from their old characters in the first movie. John Hamm is taking over the role of Coach Carter, and you have a lot of new actors playing all of the young people from the original movie. So what you didn't hear in that clip or the rest of the trailer was any of the singing. And I'm not too familiar with the musical, but it's supposed to be adapted from the movie. So what we are seeing here is just all the acting parts. I wanted to see a little bit of the singing. I wanted to see a little bit of what is going to make this movie different because it's not a remake. They're calling it a hybrid, which we've seen done recently with Matilda and we have the color purple. So it's not a completely new idea to make a musical adaptation of a movie we've already seen. I just haven't seen a version where they've done a musical remake and not included any of that in the trailer. When the Matilda trailer came out, the one that came out on Netflix, it was very apparent that it was going to be a musical and therefore completely different. And that one in no way felt like that original movie from the 90s. Here, it just feels like they are remaking the movie. And Mean Girls, to me, is one of those perfect movies. A movie that really shouldn't have been touched. I would have been more excited to see a direct sequel, a Mean Girls 2, not based on the musical, but instead what they've been doing recently with all these Mean Girls advertisements that they've been doing with the original actors of them 20 years later. Now in that mom role, I think that would have been a much more interesting movie of have the Mean Girls grow up, become moms, and their daughters are the new focus. Instead of having just new people come in and remake what happened in that original movie, I think that would be a much more interesting story and more creative. I worry that making what seems like an exact copy of the original movie with some songs that are in there isn't going to really do that well. And you're going to anger those people who hate remakes, especially with the movie that has such a dedicated fan base as Mean Girls, one of the best movies of the 2000s, one of the most quotable movies of all time. And although 20 years is a significant amount of time that has passed between that one and now, it's crazy to think it's been 20 years since that movie came out, really making us feel old here. I just think you have to make it different instead of just updating everything to make all these Gen Z references that are going to feel cringy in 10 years. Oh, I don't think this movie is going to stand the test of time like the original one did, which has. If you go back and watch that original movie, it is still a great movie. But this one is just adding in things like TikTok, changing some of the jokes to make them a little bit more risque, a little bit more sexual. I don't feel like that's going to be enough to really carry this movie. Another thing that worries me is coming out on January 12th. Historically, not the best month to release a movie. Maybe they're just trying to counter-program and put it out after the holidays when there's not much going on. So that worries me a little bit. And going back to the trailer where they're just playing off the familiarity of the movie, making a trailer that's very shareable so you can tell all your friends, look, they're remaking the movie. I feel like that was the intention of this trailer. The next trailer they put out, I feel it's going to have that musical element and really make it look like something different. So I don't want to say this one is dead in the water yet for me. I just need to see that next trailer. Now, if that trailer comes out 
Still doesn't speak to me. I'm going to say this was a bad, bad decision and just the cash grab, which I hate a cash grab that tugs at the nostalgia strings inside of our heart. I would just go watch Mean Girls again if I wanted the exact same plot points. So again, that's coming out in theaters on January 12th. The jury is still out on this one, waiting for that second trailer. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. But before I go, I got to give my listener shout out of the week. How do you get a listener shout out of the week? Well, you can comment on my Instagram, TikTok at Mike Destro. I have a Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Mike Destro and the YouTube channel where if you've missed any individual movie review or you just want to see it and hear it at the same time, I put all those up on my channel, YouTube.com slash Mike Destro, which some of the reviews have been starting to pop off over there. But I find now that YouTube can be kind of a dark place and some people have not been so nice in the comments. I'd say 80% are pretty positive. 15% may not like my point of view, but we can challenge each other. I'm always fine with that. Movie interpretations are always up for debate, but it doesn't feel like they are attacking me. And another 5% of just people commenting on my physical appearance, which is not cool. So YouTube can be kind of a dark place, but I'm still posting there every single week. But this week's listener shout out of the week comes to us from Instagram, Jalissa Davis, who commented and said, listen to 26 episodes this weekend on my drives from Florida to South Carolina and back. You got me through the entire drive back and forth. Keep up the great work. Your podcast is fire. That is a lot of episodes, a lot of me, too much of me, a lot of movie content. So just a round of applause for listening to that many episodes. I don't think I could listen to myself for that amount of time. So Jalissa, for that commitment, you probably deserve more than just listener of the week. That is a lot of episodes, but thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone in the movie crew. And until next time, go out and watch good movies. And I will talk to you later. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.